0: One
1: of the joys of having grandchildren is having the opportunity to relive those experiences through your child's life, the different developmental stages of their lives. And I don't know about you, but one of the favorite things in my parenting was when my children transitioned from crawling to walking. And that was a big deal. How many know that was a big deal? Well, I got to relive that experience not long ago with my granddaughter, Shelley, And it's amazing how bad you want them to walk, right? You're, you're like, every time she was over at the house, you know, and she's beginning to stand up, and you grab her hands, and you kind of move her, and you're trying to jockey her forward, and then you let go of the hands, hoping she's going to take a step, and then boom, plop, she falls on her buns. But that moment is all worth the work it's all worth the wait is it not that moment they take their first steps out come the phones the recording start facebook blows up with all your videos and pictures of them taking their first steps because really what is it i mean it's it's a joyous occasion i mean there's an event in their life they're transitioning into And you just love it. And your heart is overflowing with joy. And I think that's the way the Apostle Paul felt about the church in Thessalonica. That as he began to minister to these babies in Christ, right? These spiritual babies, he began to see them walk and began to see their spiritual walk progress more and more and more. In fact, in verse 1, it says that as you have received from us how you want to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Our walk is likened to our lives. It is analogous. That's what the Scriptures use. That whenever it uses the term walk, it's talking about our life with God whether good or bad at times. And remember, Paul used the analogy, did he not, in chapter 2, when he referred to himself as a nursing mother, he looked at himself as a nursing mother, gentle among them, and then a few verses later, he called himself a father to them, instructing them that they would live a life worthy of God. And that's what Paul begins in this chapter, in this chapter 4. As they begin their walk with God, he's instructing them on certain things. There's a transition that takes place now to the ethical portion of Scripture. We begin to see things remarkably change a little bit in chapter 4. And he begins to encourage his children in the faith to live a life worthy of the Lord, a life pleasing of the Lord. He exhorts them... To live a holy life. And that's what the first eight verses are. He begins to encourage them. Live a life of holiness. Live a life of holiness. In fact, he transitions by saying this. Finally. Finally. Now that isn't the end of the epistle. Paul is using that as a signal. So that they pay attention to what's happening. As he transitions into this new portion of scripture. And he begins with the call To please God. Isn't that what we're here for? We want to live our lives to please God. We want to be instructed in the Scriptures. We want to know what God says. We want Him speaking into our lives. We want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can live a life pleasing to God. Look at verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Yeah, they were living a life that was beginning to please God as they transitioned from their old life, but it wasn't over then. Paul's concern was that they would continue to grow and grow and grow in their spiritual walk. So he begins by this call to please the Lord, to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord, to live your life in a manner that pleases the Lord. And this can only come... Under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, as you read the Scriptures before, you see the work of the Holy Spirit and how vital and crucial the work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it contrasts the flesh with the Spirit. and In verse 8, it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When we live in the flesh, there's no way that you and I are going to ever please God. And that's why it's important. That's why from the pulpit, we tell you sometimes, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you living for? And you begin to evaluate your life and you find out, man, am I really living a spiritual life or am I living a life that's pleasing to God? A life. That is not in the flesh but in the spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, self control and walking in the spirit is important because it says that we do not gratify the flesh when we walk in the spirit. Paul said that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's why it's important not to quench the spirit of God in your life. That's why it's important to always live a life of hard examination and to read the word, and when it speaks to you, that you respond to it. Otherwise, you begin to quench the spirit. So he begins with a call to please God, but then he transitions into this call to live a life of purity in our relationships. He calls us to purity in our relationships, and the primary concern when it comes to their holiness is their purity in sexual relationships. In verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That same word is used for holiness and that you may abstain from sexual immorality. I found that interesting because there's a lot of things we deal with, right? When we're walking with the Lord and we're trying to figure out, Lord, I want to pursue you. I want to chase you. There's things in my life that aren't pleasing to you. But he brings up the one subject of sexual immorality because that is the one thing that will reap the most amount of destruction in your life here on earth. And how appropriate is really for our culture today. Sexual purity is of high importance in the scriptures. When you get in the Old Testament, you read about Baal. It's primarily speaking about sexual worship towards the god Baal. And God's people were always drifting off in that direction. And sexual immorality became a characteristic of a life that's turned their back on God. And so you start in the Old Testament, you get in the New Testament, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, look, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and when you take that and sleep with a prostitute, you are bringing the Lord with you. And so sexual purity is of high importance in the Scriptures. And if you're here today, and you're involved in a life of sexual immorality, it may be Even on the computer, you may think that's okay, or maybe you're in an adulterous affair. I'm going to warn you today, you need to turn from that. Turn from it. Repent today. The Lord will welcome you back with open arms if you repent. There's good reasons that Paul gives here in this passage of Scripture of why we shouldn't involve ourselves in sexual immorality. One, sexual immorality is for those who do not know God. Sexual immorality is a lifestyle that's characteristic of those who do not know God. Look at verses 4 and 5. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so he brings this up that that this is the lifestyle of the ones that do not know God. God. Now back in the day when Paul penned this passage of scripture and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there were other religions that these people were involved in, and they all really endorsed sexual immorality. You had the cults of Dionysus, Aphrodite, Osiris, and Isis and Cabiris, and Priapus promoted all of these religions that were in Thessalonica. They all promoted sexual immorality. In fact, a lot of them included that as part of their worship. It wasn't about singing songs so much. It was involved in sexual and temple prostitutes. Plus, the social norms of that day accepted sexual immorality. It became the norm. In fact, people's consciences began to... Be worn down, and there were famous philosophers that began to write things that saying there's nothing wrong with appeasing your sexual desires, and it didn't matter if you were married or not. Marcus Cicero was a Roman statesman, lawyer, and philosopher, and he spent some time in Thessalonica in the mid first century B.C. and he argued for this freedom for use. He said this of youth. He said, "Let not pleasures always be forbidden." Let desire and pleasure triumph sometimes over reason. And he was saying that in the context of sexual immorality. In Greek society, a man who owned a female slave saw her as human property. And they saw the female that he owned as a way of fulfilling his sexual gratifications. That became the norm of that day. Prostitutes were abundant and at the service of any man. In fact, Antipater of Thessalonica, who was governor over that region at one time, commented on the price of love for prostitutes. And he wrote this, Homer said all things well, but best of all that Aphrodite is golden. For if you bring the cash, my friend, there is neither porter in your path nor dog chained at the door. But if you come otherwise, Cerberus himself is there. Now, Cerberus was a Gre- in Greek mythology was a multi-headed dog that guarded the gates of Hades. In other words, if you bring your cash, it's okay. But if you don't bring your cash for the prostitute, you better look out. And remember, when Paul wrote this epistle, when he wrote this to the church in Thessalonica, he was writing from Corinth. And Corinth was a hotbed for immorality. The temple of Aphrodite occupied the skyline of Corinth. And the servants of Aphrodite, which were temple prostitutes, applied their trade under the cover of darkness. No different than what happens in Dallas or New York City or Los Angeles or San Francisco. It's all become common. But this isn't the way God's people are to live. Paul is saying that lifestyle, sexual immorality, that's for the unbeliever. That isn't for God's people. And the reason he's bringing this up now is because there were still some that were having a hard time breaking free of the old life. That some of them were coming out of those temples and they were trying to break free of their immoral lifestyles and live the ethical life that God called them to. And so we had to write. Number two, sexual immorality is a horrendous offense against another person look at verse 6 it says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter that when you commit adultery that you are wronging your brother and immorality was taking place among some as i said but even though sexual immorality was acknowledged in that culture there was one emperor who tried to put a stop to it. Adultery was taking place everywhere. He didn't so much care about the youth that weren't married. They can do what they want. But he began to see the devastation that was playing on their culture when people started committing adultery. Homes were breaking up. Kids were having to live in different places and things like that. So Emperor Augustus, in the early first century, he put into place called the Julian Law. The Julian Law. And the Julian Law outlawed adultery. That if you committed adultery, then you were subject to heavy consequences. But its effectiveness was questionable. It still took place, especially among the provinces. Maybe not so much in Rome it was taking place there, but the provinces that outlawed Rome, it was infiltrated with adultery. And the Christian community, I believe that Paul writes this because in the Christian community, we're a tight knit community. We, we build relationships with other people. And just like in our life groups that we want couples meeting in our life groups so they can get to know one another and that they can begin to build relationships among one another. And as they build relationships, Paul knows the danger of committing adultery that when you have couples with other couples there's that temptation sometimes that rises up and so Paul felt a real need that we need to address this because some of you have to turn from that and we've experienced that before in the church it's always a tragedy but I think that we need to take the warning because three sexual immorality invites the Lord's vengeance look at as Paul continues, he says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to a life of impurity, but purity. So Paul says, I warned you about these things. I've warned you that you're inviting God's vengeance, and that should be the real gravity of everything here, that God doesn't sit in the bleachers and just watch things unfold in His church and not do anything about it. He always addresses it. And I've seen people fall under judgment. It breaks our hearts as pastors because we've warned people. That's what I loved about the Puritans. The Puritans didn't call it counseling like they do today. They called it warning ministry. And what they did was they would open up the the Scriptures knowing that they were dealing with Christians and open up the Scriptures and they would warn people that if you violate this, this is probably what's going to happen. And so part of our ministry as pastors is to warn people. That look, if you go down that path, God isn't going to sit in the bleachers and watch it happen. When you wrong another brother, it's not just breaking one of the Ten Commandments of committing adultery, but it's also breaking another commandment of thou shalt not steal because you took something that belonged to somebody else. And so it's serious matter here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And you can't take that lightly. I think when you know the Reformation took place, we're saved by grace, we're justified through faith in Christ, that some of us live a life of cheap grace. Where we really don't see the value of Christ's sacrifice because our response towards that is not pleasing to the Lord. And sexual immorality will destroy you. For sexual immorality is destructive to God's calling in our lives. And that's what verse 7 is about. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God has called us to live holy lives. And there's nothing that's going to destroy that more quickly and eat away at the soul than sexual immorality. And it, it, it shocks me what I hear on television now. What I hear on the news, what they're teaching our kids. And we sit in the bleachers and we don't vote these people out of office. We don't take action. It's okay in the four walls of the church, but here the culture sweeping away our kids into the area of immorality they're taking schools to drag queen shows and they're trying to disney is trying to pump into the kids hearts that every form of immorality is acceptable and that's how we got here and if we don't do something about that we're the pillar of truth according first timothy chapter three and we want our kids to be holy we want them to walk in holiness but we have to guard them we have to protect them 1st Peter 1:14 through 16 says as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he has called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy Amen. sexual immorality destroys that Five, sexual immorality grieves the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what verse 8 is about. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. As he closes portion, he has to bring in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he first begins his chapter by calling us to live a life of holiness. That's the primary concern that God has for your life. is isn't to get your finances right. It isn't even so much to get your marriage correct. It is holiness, and everything else flows from that. Everything else will flow from that. And so over and over again, you're going to see this idea of holiness in the scriptures, but now he moves from holiness to living a life of love. Don't just live a life of holiness, but he says to live a life of love. And that's what verses 9 through 12 are. He begins by, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. Now the word for brotherly love there is not agapo love, agapeo love, agape love, if you may. It is Philadelphia love. It is the brotherly love that he has called us to. And over and over again, He uses this idea in 1 Thessalonians that we are siblings. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family. He uses it 19 times just in 1 Thessalonians. You're going to see that over and over again. And he talks about this love that's supposed to exist between brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, hey, concerning brotherly love, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And that is the foundation of love. That is the foundation of love. The foundation of their love is God's love. It's God's love. God's love for them and God's love through them. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. John the apostle of love, right? They say Peter is the apostle of hope. They say that. Paul or or James is the apostle of faith as he has written in James chapter 2 about what real faith is. They call John the apostle of love and through 1 John he deals with the subject of love but look what he says in 1 John. He says beloved let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now think about being taught by love by God, being taught how to love by God. It first begins with an example of love of Christ coming into this world, that God sent His Son. He's telling you that love is sacrificial. Love is self-giving. Gospel of John chapter 13, you have Jesus, the Lord of Lords, who girds Himself and He washes the disciples' feet. And He shows them that love is more than just words. It is an example. It is a life. It is a verb and so that He sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. It's like John saying that if you can't love your brothers and sisters, you don't know God. You don't know God because there is no excuse not to love. You and I have been equipped to love. Uh, That's what the Holy Spirit's work is in our life. In Romans chapter 5, it says that... Love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In Galatians chapter 5, it's the first fruit of the Spirit. Some even say that everything that flows from that, that love is the fruit. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, we're equipped to love one another. Yeah.
0: We've been equipped for that. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.